Hey, I'm your host, Sarah Sennett. I'm a master's qualified digital marketer. Together, we're going to up-level your marketing game. My aim for the Marketing Mindset Club is to give you clarity on how to create and communicate value. Learn the latest marketing techniques, build your skill set, and develop the confidence you need to get the results you want. Hello, and welcome back to the Marketing Mindset Club podcast and to the second episode in our 2021 Trends series. If you caught the last episode, you'll know that I'm back after a bit of a break and we're taking a short interlude from the current series to talk about the common trends we are seeing predicted for 2021. Last time we talked at a strategic and consumer behaviour level and this time we're diving into individual channels and tactics. So these two episodes are designed to give you food for thought about how to handle your 2021 marketing. As I said last time, it's not going to be easy or even predictable, but trying to ride out the storm and thinking normal will return at some point is not going to work in my opinion. So hopefully you'll get some ideas from these two episodes. If you haven't listened to the first one already, I'd start with that one. I've linked to it from the show notes or just go to the MMC episode before this one in your podcast feed. So let's get into some things that are happening or that you should be aware of on some different channels in 2021. So the first one is Instagram increasing visibility of content through search. So according to Social Media Examiner, as of November last year, you can now search for content on Instagram without using a hashtag. And it certainly seems to be the case for me here in the UK when I checked. So what this means is that a user search using words, not hashtags, will surface posts and accounts using text from the profile or the post itself. And what this means is that content can be found by a user who doesn't necessarily know which hashtags they should be looking at. So you would expect to see organic reach increase as a result. Now, this is going to benefit everyone who is trying to build a following on the platform. You should see organic reach increase, but it will be interesting to see if that does actually happen. Um, as we know, Facebook and Instagram have been throttling organic reach uh, recently um, in order to encourage paid advertising, as you might imagine. While we're on the topic of Instagram, there is no avoiding reels. And even though TikTok has the majority share in the short consumable video space, Reels has been so prominently positioned in the Instagram app, it's now pretty unavoidable. Only available to view and upload on mobile, Reels could be the perfect enhancement for almost any consumer product or brand, particularly if your audience is likely to be older than the TikTok generation. And there's no judgment there. I have tried TikTok out for myself and made a few videos and they grew really well in reach and followers to the point where it was a little bit scary. But I realised it's such a powerful app at keeping users in its constant content stream that I just lost hours and hours in that constant scroll. Anyway, back to Instagram. As of December last year, 36% of Instagram users were over the age of 35. And this relates back to something I read about baby boomers, Gen X and older millennials being somewhat neglected from brands whose social media is targeted purely at the Gen Zers, which is fine if that's where your target market is. But if I can find the source, I'll link it from the show notes. But it did make me think that for those brands who do want to engage that older audience, there is an opportunity out there for great social content and Reels happens to be in a platform where many of them are. So it could be something that you need to engage with this year. Instagram and Facebook ads are also likely to become less static this year. So 
Also in the same article from Social Media Examiner, there are four creative trends mentioned that will apply this year to Facebook and Instagram ads. And the first is GIFs. We know that animated or moving image content works extremely well against static content for capturing that scrolling attention. And they also count towards video views if that's something you're trying to grow. The second is user-generated content or UGC. The example they gave in the article was of a product you would use in photography called a lens ball and it creates some beautiful images but you could see the users who were using this product are professional or amateur photographers so they're invested in getting incredible shots which is why UGC works so well for that product and I do think there is a choice to be made when you're going to consider user-generated content. Is the production value good enough? because I think poor quality audio or imagery just isn't worth reusing. It could actually do more harm than good. The third trend mentioned was for more text heavy ads on Facebook. And this is a bit of an unwritten change, really. We've not heard anything from Facebook themselves on this, but the 20% rule regarding the amount of text in ads seems to have disappeared. So it's likely you'll see bigger and bolder text ads start to appear. And for those brave enough, this would be a good tactic to trial against non-text ads to see which has better impact, especially while it's not yet a common strategy. And the fourth is about ads that bring positive feelings or lightness into a user's feed. I've heard 2020 referred to as a burning dumpster of a year. And while I can't disagree with that, although the terminology makes me chuckle every time I say it, there's little evidence to support the theory it does seem to make sense that bringing positivity into the world can only be a good thing. And as a permanent optimist, I will always be for that. Whether it works as an ad tactic on social has yet to be seen. So on to the next point. Online event fatigue means events need to go hybrid. So when the pandemic first hit and in-person events were cancelled one after another, like a line of falling dominoes, the choice of many organisers was to pivot online rather than to cancel completely, which you would totally understand. Facebook reported group calls of more than three people went up by 50%. And we all know about the meteoric rise to fame that Zoom had at the start of lockdown. But Zoom fatigue, as it's affectionately known, has already set in and digital is falling short of real life experiences. Not that I'm saying it will ever replace them, but I do think you just don't get the same sensory experience attending a digital event, and so many of us are now missing out on that. I also think our working environment, for those of us who are working at home, we're missing out on micro breaks that are normal within the usual office environment, so we're getting more screen time than ever. And so the appeal of yet another group video call or webinar is declining rapidly. So what's the plan for events in 2021 then? In a word, hybrid. A combination of live streams and video recordings enhanced with another layer of experience. And this could be augmented reality, where a product demo is needed or a face-to-face -face element in due course for those who want to network. 72% of event planners worldwide said they would be planning hybrid events in 2021. And of course, the nature of being online means being able to bring individuals together from across the globe who might not otherwise have been able to take part. So I think there's huge potential here to create experiences of value, but it does come down to production value and the tolerance for poor video, poor audio, connectivity uh, in live stream events is dwindling rapidly. So delivery is as important as it would be in an in-person event. 
And I wanted to just talk a bit more about hybrid. And an example of a hybrid event was the award-winning Samsung launch. The description from the Drum Award entry, which is linked in the show notes, is as follows. Creative agency Smile pushed the boundaries of virtual events, together with long-term partner Samsung, with the first ever use of gaming platform Unreal Engine to host a fully immersive live digital media experience for 5,000 press and partners. Representing a paradigm shift for product launch events, Smile not only created a carefully constructed 3D virtual world for Samsung Life Unstoppable, but applied the very latest gaming techniques together with 8D audio, AR integration, ray tracing and pixel streaming to deliver powerful emotional resonance never before seen in a virtual event. Now, I don't know what some of those mean. Um, Ray tracing and pixel streaming, I am still unsure as to what those terms mean. But the crucial thing about this is that it was not just a live streaming event. You had that augmented reality element in it as well with an incredibly high production value. And there was an article about the event on CNET. And I just wanted to give you some more context about it. Partners of Life Unstoppable will navigate around a digital house that contains about two dozen different Samsung devices, ranging from its $3,500 waterproof outdoor terrace TV to its updated Galaxy Z Fold 2 foldable phone. The visit revolves around a 45-minute guided tour, but participants are able to branch off on their own and look at the back ports of a TV or circle back to the kitchen to check out the appliances. Samsung noted that every detail from the home's artwork to the furniture fabric was carefully selected following meticulous research into the type of guests that would be visiting the event, resulting in a truly immersive home environment. There's also an augmented reality component that lets people see what the new products, like the TVs, will look like in their own homes. And Samsung noted that the immersive 8D audio makes visitors feel like they're really in the home. Now, That's an example of a huge production and a massive budget, but hybrid events don't have to be the preserve of the giant global brand only. What if you wanted to do a press launch or a product launch event on a smaller scale? You could create an experience with a product and some clever packaging combined with an online event. For me, that's the big takeaway when it comes to making the event memorable. Event organisers need to be mindful that they must deliver value equal to or greater than they could with an event in person in a location. So whether this is about diversity of speakers, exclusive resources, in-person event access in the future or networking connections, added value has never been more important in securing engagement. And I have a special episode coming up shortly where I'll be talking to an expert in the live streaming digital event space and we'll be delving into how to plan and execute an event in the COVID world. So keep an eye out for that one in the coming weeks if you're thinking of putting on an event in 2021. We'll be helping you figure out how to do that. So the next point to bring up is about making the break into programmatic ads. If you've not yet moved into programmatic, then I think 2021 is the year to do it. Now, programmatic simply means using an AI or artificial intelligence to put your ad content in front of the users using real-time bidding. As user behaviours change, they will drop out or come into the target group and the AI can manage that for you. So if you're already doing Facebook or Instagram ads, then you're already doing it. The Facebook AI manages the audience targeting for you. And the same is true for PPC ad offerings like Google or Bing or LinkedIn. They all use AI to dynamically create their audiences. 
So while programmatic as a term might seem a bit alien or complicated, it's probably what you're doing already somewhere in your strategy. But the reason that I'm bringing it up is the options for programmatic ads are pretty limitless. And there are multiple DSPs or demand side platforms that you can use to access different networks. You just need to find a combination that works for you. So for instance, if you're a content producer, then you might want to try Taboola or Outbrain. It can really help you with reach. Or if you want to target specific in-market audiences, then many programmatic platforms have connections with data providers that will allow you to really narrow down on the segment that you want to target. But as always, if you're going to try out a new tactic, I suggest doing this in a controlled way. So draw up a test protocol, set timings, budget and activity with a hypothesis on the results you want to see. That way, when you assess the results, you'll know how it performed against the results you expected. You could also benchmark the results against other ad activity to see how it performed against other channels. But if you're going to do this, be mindful that this might be just a small test against an established set of channels and creatives. So just take that into consideration. The next thing to think about is chatbots. And in an article I read, they stated that 85% of customer service will happen through chatbots by the end of last year. And I find that incredibly hard to believe, but there's no denying the rise of the chatbot. Another article claimed that the chatbot market is estimated to grow from around 700 million to 1.3 billion in three years time and that 47% of organisations are expected to have a chatbot by the end of this year, which would represent a growth of around 92%. Now, I wasn't able to verify those numbers anywhere else, but for me, it's just about the direction of travel, and you can see that chatbots are not going away anytime soon. Previously, we might have thought a chatbot was maybe a nice-to-have web experience, but in reality maybe didn't provide much value, could have been a bit gimmicky maybe. And this is because the AI behind a chatbot needs hundreds of thousands of instances in order to learn how to respond correctly and with value to the user. Now, with customer support, resolving a query or finding information, those are the top users for a chatbot which shows they need to be intelligent more than just signposting content for users. But how do you know if you need one? I think if you're a B2C organisation with queries coming in on a range of channels from customers, then it's absolutely a no-brainer to get a chatbot up and learning in 2021, if you haven't already. You'll find simple queries can be resolved without the need of a human's attention, which will save you time and money. In a B2B instance, it's more tricky, but I think there is value in a chatbot that can signpost resources, can book follow-up calls, set calendar events for demos, any of those sorts of things. One of the survey results I read said that customers expect businesses to be open and to respond 24-7, which isn't realistic unless you're a global organisation, so a chatbot could be a good solution for this. But as always, there is a word of caution. An out-of-the-box solution that is untrained will be about as much use as a toddler when conversing with customers. For all of those of you who have children, you'll know exactly what I mean. So make sure you scope out the role of the chatbot up front, what it will be responsible for doing and where a human will have to take over. Starting simple can be a good way to test if it's going to be a useful addition to your customer journey, but make sure it's able to effectively handle queries it's not able to answer by directing the customer to the right human who will answer their question. 2021 is also the year we see user experience becoming a ranking factor in Google's algorithm. So if you manage a website, you should have a Google Search Console account, which 
If you don't have, you absolutely need to get one and it's free to sign up for. You will see there has been a new section introduced over the past year called Core Web Vitals. And there are three factors that make up the Core Web Vitals, loading speed, interactivity and page stability. So from May 2021, Google will combine this real life user experience data with factors it already considers about a page, which are whether it's mobile friendly, HTTPS secure, safe browsing and no intrusive interstitials, which are basically pop ups that distract a user on their way to getting to their destination. Now, you can read about this on any of the SEO blogs, but I've linked to a piece on searchenginejournal.com that I think explains it really well. As with lots of on-site SEO, you will need a developer or whoever manages your website to work with you on this. Unless, of course, you're a multitasking genius, in which case my hat's off to you. But for most people, you'll need someone who can edit the code on your website to help you with this. So Google has released a diagnostic tool that can help you with this work, and it's called PageSpeed Insights. And there's also Lighthouse within the Chrome browser, which gives you the same information on page as PageSpeed Insights. So you can Google that or you can find it in the show notes. Don't forget that when you're working on a page, the end result is to have an amazing user experience. So even though you have the core web vitals broken down by Google and you can see individual things or tasks that need to be done to improve the page speed, don't forget that this is about the end user. So don't sacrifice something that the users will notice for the sake of the score. The same rules about optimizing for search engines apply that have always applied. User first, search engine second. And hopefully the two are not mutually exclusive, or they shouldn't be. So you'll be able to improve the experience for the user while improving your score at the same time. And then 2021 is also likely to herald the death of third party cookies or affectionately known as cookie apocalypse. And the reason that we care about this is that most consumer tracking is done through cookies. So if you go back to season two, episode one, you can hear more about cookies and how they work and get some more background on the issue. But essentially, third party cookies are set by software other than the website being viewed, such as analytics and tracking programs we use like Google Analytics to build up a profile of a user's behavior. Now, we know that Safari as a browser is already blocking third party cookies as standard and has done since early 2020. And this didn't much matter because unfortunately, sorry, Safari has less than a 20% browser market share worldwide. So, you know, not so bothered, but Chrome has around a 65% share of the market. So what this means is that with the death of third party cookies and Chrome, in addition to Safari and probably many of the other browsers going down that route as well, you won't be able to track users' activity in something like Google Analytics. But before you have a heart attack about that, let's talk about it a little bit more. We don't quite know what's going to replace the cookie in terms of how we understand our user behaviours. But in my humble opinion, Google Analytics is not just going to be allowed to die as a result of the death of third-party cookies. It, I just don't think it's going to happen. But I do think it will evolve. And we know that Google have this project underway called the Privacy Sandbox to, I guess, investigate how online user behaviours are going to be tracked, if at all, going forwards. I suspect that they are. But watch this space because I think in 2021, we'll find out more about how we need to adapt and what's going to change in the world of cookies. 
In the meantime, I think all marketers need to think about how well integrated our own systems are, like CRM, fulfillment center, email marketing platform, etc., are with your website. If there's anything you can do to reduce reliance on third-party cookies, then go for it. And just for clarity, first-party cookies are set by the website, such as a language specification or user authentication. They aren't under threat. It's just the third-party cookies that are. So the more integrated your systems can be with your website, I think the more likely you are to avoid a big upheaval to retain your view of your customer behaviours and to retain that insight. And that's all I have for you this time. Thank you so much for coming back to the Marketing Mindset Club. Normal service will resume shortly, as I said earlier. And keep your ears open for my first guest slot where we'll be talking about virtual and live stream events. If you have any need to generate leads this year or you're looking to advance your thought leadership positioning, then an online event where you deliver value to your audience could be a way to do it and we're going to talk about that in the next episode with somebody who is an expert in the area so keep an eye out for that and that just leaves me to say I'm really glad you're still here and that you tuned in for this trend episode if you haven't listened to the one before please go back and listen to it I'd love to know what you think about it and I'd also love to know whether you found these episodes useful Uh, do they help you plan your strategy and your marketing for 2021 any thoughts feedback I would love it. Pop onto Instagram at Marketing Mindset Club or leave me a review. Always love that. It really helps me expand the reach of the show and support as many marketers as I can. So thanks very much for being here and I'll see you next time. Bye.